Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 146. If you or your friends like classic board games, try these other games. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a holiday ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony. How is your holiday board gaming shopping season going? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Um, Good podcast, everybody. Woo! Did it, you guys? Nah, man. We people have been it. sick. I haven't gotten to play anything in like a week and a half, but uh, uh, certainly bought some stuff nice. because that's what you do for the holidays, right? Yeah. Uh, what are the holidays there for? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Expressions Thanksgiving. Of your it was fine. Black Friday. <laughs> that's another thing. That's another thing completely. So, yeah, this was yet another Black Friday and Cyber Monday that came and went. There was the miniature market sale that, for some reason, they decided to start like super early in the morning, depending on where you were living, about three, four o'clock in the morning, which was completely insane. And I think they posted the list of games that were going to be on there, maybe like two hours before. And some of the advertised games that they talked about originally weren't there, so that was very disappointing. Uh, and yet, some of the games were there, so there was some good picks, depending on what you were looking for. And I guess our friends at Cool Stuff had some smaller sales, not the epic game sales that they used to have. And I, when I say used to, it wasn't that long ago that Cool Stuff and Miniature Market would be running their sales at the same time. Websites crashing, people crying, <laughs> cards going missing. This year was kind of pretty chill, considering. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I, the Cool Stuff sales now are funny because they clearly put a lot of work into them. But I don't get it. Because it's always some funny theme. Like the week of Thanksgiving, it was Meeples in Black and then Meeples in Black 2. And they were just playing on like MIB. Yes. But the games that were for sale didn't really match that. No. And then this week, it was like a, a Matrix theme. Yep. Same thing. Like they weren't like sci fi, cyberpunk games. It was just some <laughs> games on sale. So they do that a lot. And I'm just, yeah. I look at their sales and I'm just like, uh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I yeah. get it. You got to sometimes you got to stretch a theme really, really thin. Well, they got a designer on staff who does amazing work, and they're bored. So this is what they do. <laughs> no, the the artwork is great for that, but definitely not the sales that we saw maybe what four years ago or so. No, no, definitely not like that. And you know, part of that's you know map pricing yes. and the the hoops they have to jump through to put these sales up, and then half the time they do put them up, and it says. See price in cart, and you're like, I'm not doing that. I don't so, like that at all. I really don't. No, like that. it's the only way to get around it, though. Like that, if you want to discount those companies' games, you gotta hide the hide the pricing, which is uh, frustrating. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. I know a lot of the other companies were having their own individual sales, not at these big slashing prices that these third parties were doing, but still was something out there. There was a couple of interesting things out there. Eagle Griffin had a sale. Obviously, Asmo Day did there once a year. Sell everything that that's in their back room kind of market sale. 
But I don't know. Hopefully there'll be something just around Christmas that'll be worth picking up. But beyond that, as he said, the map pricing, the your local friendly game stores being very few and far between kind of makes these sales much, much harder. And just in general, there's a lot less games being produced than there once were. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I didn't really buy anything online from the online sales. I did go to my friendly local game stores in person sale uh, on Small Business Saturday. They did a uh, buy one, get one half off sale um, that they do every year. And that was cool. I picked up Glass Road and uh, a couple of unlocks that I hadn't picked up previously. But the uh, the online stuff, while the prices are, are good for what's there, it's not necessarily... Maybe we're just getting jaded because our collections are too big at this point. Sure. But um, but yeah, it didn't. Nothing really caught me this time around. Even Amazon didn't have any big sales or any prime sales for board games. There were a couple of small games in between that were at ridiculous prices, but they disappeared very quickly, and there was just very very few of them. I think the most interesting trend that's happening now, and something that everyone should keep an eye out for, is GameStop, which does not have a board game section on their website. But yet, they do have board games, and every once in a while, a random game will go on some exceptionally great sale. I think Through the Ages was like $25, and several other their other games were at very low prices, although typically you have to pick them up at the store. So they may be on sale, but they may not be in your area, so you might have to reserve them and drive X number of miles to get there, but keep a lookout for those games. All right, so that's what's going on on our pre-holiday, I guess, sales season. And let's get on to what you're all talking about on our social media. So, Anthony, what's our question of the week? All righty. So I asked everybody, what game do you have equal amount of fun losing as winning? Because we all know there's those games out there that... While it, whether it's too long or it runs too tight or whatever it is, and if you lose, it's not necessarily a lot of fun. Sure. But and we all like to think and say, as long as we're having fun together, it's fun, and that's true. And a lot of people said that, and I definitely agree. If you're with a good group, that's absolutely true. But some games are more fun to lose than others. Sure. So let's be honest. So some of the answers I got here. Mark said, "Cosmic Encounter." Um, you have to play it with a good sense of humor, knowing you may get destroyed based on a dumb power. <laughs> um, I would say that's a reason not to like that game, but that's me. <laughs> I've literally played a game of Cosmic Counter. I think I had six players, and I didn't even take a turn, and, and somebody won. So, oh, my God. That's a thing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the first time I played it, somebody had such a bad time. They got up, dumped a bunch of pieces, and have, were like, I'm never playing this game again, stormed out. It has that effect on people. It does. So, <laughs> let's see. We got Brian mentions Concordia because you don't really know until the end anyway. So the entire time you're having fun. Sure. I think that's a great point. Games where you can't really keep track of score until the very end are True. True. going to be fun. If you didn't have fun, it's because you don't like to lose. It's not because the game failed. Sure. Talisman, Dungeon Quest, pretty much all the ones I play, Timothy mentions. So kind of some of the, the lighter beer and pretzel dungeon crawlers. We had... <laughs> Clank in Space, Five Tribes, Stockpile, so a few more modernish games. Chris mentioned Above and Below. Even for the loser, there's adventures to be had. So I think a storytelling game is a great example because those games are more about the actual journey and sure. the game than it is necessarily winning or losing the game. Makes sense. And then, of course, co-ops in general. Yeah. Uh, if you don't like to lose in those, you shouldn't play them because you're going to lose most of the time. <laughs> so that, that that is definitely a big category of these, I think. 
Yeah, I think for me, one of the games I often like to play and I really don't care about the score would be Tokaido. Because basically, you're it's a little bit of a tableau building game. I mean, the tableau really doesn't affect anything. It's just basically putting together a vacation on this road. And at the end of the game, whoever wins, they win. But you look down, you're like, oh, I you know, went to all these places and ate all this food and I picked up all these trinkets and it seemed like I had a really good time and the game is very serene and beautiful to look at and it's just a very chill time. Yeah, yeah, Takata is definitely a good one. I would definitely put that one up there uh, along with pretty much any dexterity game. Um, I like stacking stuff, <laughs> sure. uh, except pitch car. I don't like pitch car. But... <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> but junk art is a great one. Ice cool is awesome. I don't honestly couldn't tell you who wins these games. And it's not because my son beats me more often than not, and he's only six. It's because they're just fun, and because my son beats me all more often. He's six. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I think any game that for me personally, I'm building a tableau. So if I look down at the end of the game, win or lose, and I have this really cool civilization that I built up, or I built up all these special powers, or I built up this great character. Like I played role player, which isn't really a very dynamic game, but at the end, I'm like, oh, cool. I had this. This, this elf and they had these powers and they had these abilities and that was pretty amazing or if I'm playing something like food chain magnet and I'm like oh this was my workforce and I had all these people and I upgraded these people and this was my specialist and this is the area that I built in so I think at the end of the game if I can look down and see that I've actually did something and accomplished something that's great because most games that you play your accomplishment doesn't you know, mean that you're going to win. Like if you play Ticket to Ride and you, you know, complete all your tickets, doesn't mean you're going to win. Somebody else could have just a ticket that has more points and they got to it and it's really out of your hand. So just some, some sense of completion is always good for me. All right. So if you'd like to jump in on the conversation, don't forget we are everywhere where there's social media, uh, especially Facebook and Twitter, where you can jump in on the question of the day, lend your voice to the conversation. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're playing and what games are getting out to your table. And we have our Stitcher and iTunes account and our YouTube account. So there's plenty of places to find us, not to mention BoardGamersAnonymous.com. So if you're looking to listen to us more and go back into our back catalog of all of our episodes, all of that's down there. Don't forget to rate us. It helps us a big time, and especially our Patreon account coming around these holidays. All right. With that said, let's get on to our acquisition disorders. So, Anthony, what are you looking to get to the table this holiday season? All right, so I'm going to head back to Essen because I think most of my acquisition disorders for the next couple months are just going to be games that uh, we haven't yet talked about at Essen. Mm -hmm. And this is the new Matt Gertz game, Transatlantic. And we saw this at PAX in the first look area, but we didn't get a chance to play it. It was one of those games that always had people sitting there. And it is, it looks very interesting because you think Matt Gertz, you think Big Board, you think Rondell, you know, Concordia, Navigador, games like Imperial, uh, games like that. And this one's not, it doesn't really look like that. You've got these different shipping tracks. It's a stock holding game. There's a modular board. It's kind of a deck pool building game where you're, all of your actions are driven by cards. So you play a card every turn and then execute the action related to it. But the new cards kind of enter play and you build up your deck as the game goes along. So it's all about efficiency and kind of managing and building up your fleet uh, in, in the North Atlantic. But it's got that Matt Gertz feel to it. Like even despite not necessarily looking or feeling like his other recent games, it definitely looks and feels like his other recent games. Nonetheless, I, this is kind of one of those designers that they're not, I don't have a shelf dedicated to his games yet. 
like it's not Feld or Rosenberg or like that, but I find myself every time one of his games comes out, stumbling across it and being like, wow, this is awesome. So now I'm being a little more proactive in that I would want to seek this one out before you know, I'm hearing about it in the back channel of the heavy board gamers groups. Yeah, so definitely one I want to check out as soon as uh, it finally hits the, these shores. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this a lot. I'm just wondering how, as you said, how heavy this, will this game actually be? And where will it fit in this kind of spectrum of games? Will it be more on the lighter side and stuff that we've seen recently? Or is it going to stand up as probably one of his heavier games? It's one of the problems with Essen's games coming out there. They just kind of linger over in Europe and rarely do they ever hit the shores and when they do it's pretty late yeah yeah it, it's tough and a game like this too like when you look at it on the table it doesn't look that big and heavy now the weight right now is a 3.09 so kind of in that mid-range but what does that actually mean I, we sure. won't really know until it gets here so hopefully rio grande or z-man or whoever picks this up soon and we get to see it absolutely well, I want to talk about something a little different. Now, Anthony and I, one of the games that we really enjoyed playing was Star Trek Attack Wing. Now, this was, of course, the Star Trek universe, and it was all these ships, miniatures on the table, usually a three-by-three three table set up, kind of. And basically, you were flying around using the special abilities of your captain and your crew and shooting at each other, and it was based on this Wings of Glory flight system which was pretty outstanding. Uh, I wasn't a miniature gamer, and it, neither was Anthony, so being able to play these miniature games, especially in this kind of condensed format, was a lot of fun. Now, I've heard about the Wings of Glory from Ares Games a lot, and I'm actually kind of a big fan, historically, of you know World War One and World War II airplanes, so it was always something I looked at, but it typically, I kind of leaned towards the sci-fi side, so it was something that... You know, I was like, maybe, but the investment's too much, and I'd rather have something sci-fi-ish. So, turns out that Ares Games is releasing tripods and triplanes, The War of the Worlds in Wings of Glory. Now, this is, <laughs> I guess, War of the Worlds. If you, if you know the movie, if you know the book, if you know the, the kind of the world-famous H.D. Wells uh, series, you know, it was kind of very popularized about these aliens taking over the world and it was this kind of like big prank that was played on everybody and people kind of freaked out about this on you know it was kind of broadcast over the radio and it there was a 1953 movie which is excellent and then there was a 2005 movie which was not excellent but nonetheless the idea of these giant walkers have been used in a lot of other sci-fi and this Kickstarter is actually utilizing World War I planes, at least currently, to fight these giant alien tripod walkers that are kind of like alternate universe World War I. So you can take control of the aliens or you can take control of the humans trying to fight back these aliens. And this Kickstarter campaign really kind of really melds both those worlds together. So it's something that... It's really interesting to me as someone who likes history, likes alternate history, likes sci-fi, and the utilization of these ground units and these air units in this really solid, well-done flight miniature system is great. Now, these tripods, which basically is the new kind of thing here, are fully assembled, fully painted, which is great, 
And you can, as I said, you could pick this up on Kickstarter. Now, this Kickstarter campaign will end on Wednesday, December 20th, 2017. And it has a couple of different stretch goals that are it's currently pushing towards. It's already reached its funding goal, so you know that this will come out. So for about $45, you get the basic set. So you can kind of you know play the, uh, the tripod or you can play the airplane, kind of fighting each other. If you want to go a little further, you can get all of the alien stuff, which is great. So if you have the flight system already, this adds in all the different Martian invasion tripods. Or you can back for $140 and basically get everything that you need to play the game fully, you know, flushed out with all the alien stuff, all the plane stuff, a lot of fun, and really something I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing at the table at some point. And it's, as I said, it's got my acquisition disorder up because I really did enjoy the flight system. And this might be something I might be back in. Yeah, this looks amazing. And it's such a brilliant idea for them to be like, all right, we've got this big World War One Wings of Glory system. People already have all this stuff. Yeah. What? How? What can we really add at this point? You know what? Let's do an Elseworlds. Let's go the DC Comics route and just be like, forget this world. We're going over here, and you can play this way now. And you don't have to mix them up, but if you want to, you already have all this stuff. That's so smart. It'll be cool if they do that with other eras that they've done this for too, or their sales of glory thing. Oh that'd wow, be great. that'd be amazing if they did something like that. Oh, like geez. Krakens. You oh, could have- great sea monsters that'd be awesome yeah i like this a lot it's, it's got some really good style to it it's almost it's not a steampunk look but it's almost got that kind of very mechanical look it's not a not a super sci-fi futuristic look but that 1950s sci-fi look all right so that's our acquisition disorders now on to our at the table with bga so anthony what have you gotten to the table this week Alrighty, so at uh pax unplugged there were not many new games available to buy (laughs) plenty to play but not to buy but one that was available that AEG had just released was the master's trials wrath of magmaroth this is a at first it might sound ridiculous but it is dice city done cooperatively in this fantasy martial arts style universe so think avatar the last airbender with dice city mechanics um and it's cooperative now that requires a lot of different changes to kind of how those core mechanisms actually interact with each other. So the basic idea is the same. You have a tableau in front of you, you roll your dice, and they match up with different colors and different um, numbers on your board, and you place your die there and you activate that ability. Boom, same as Dice City. Uh, Throughout the game, you'll be upgrading those, uh, purchasing new cards that will go on top of those and they give you new abilities. The differences though are, are very interesting. So the first thing they did is You have these modular boards that relate to kind of your character and then their different abilities and style. You're also going to build a deck of cards for yourself based on those three things. So you're going to have your own cards that you draw from. They're different than everybody else. And they're going to be kind of catered towards your style, whether it's heavy offense, a little more healing and defense or a little more, uh, you know, intuition to go out and actually unlock some of these seals that are blocking the big boss. Um, And so throughout the game, obviously, you can help each other. And so, you know, in Dice City, you could always spend dice to move things or manipulate the board a little bit if you had really, really bad roll. Now you can do that for other people as well. So that's a kind of a cool thing you can do. Um, So player order doesn't really matter. You kind of work together on that. The other thing that's different here is you have minions you have to fight and you have a boss you have to fight. Now, every round, a certain number of minions are going to come out based on a location deck. These range from very easy 
where they only need two damage to kill to a fair bit harder where they need four damage to kill. It's kind of random what comes out. So you could have turns in which you draw three enemies and they're all the big bad ones that need four damage and it's the first or second round of the game and you get pummeled. That's not very much fun. It's not super duper balanced how that deck works. You do scale it based on the number of players and which players are there uh, because each player has their own class and you're going to kind of build the decks based on that. But it's not perfect, and the lack of variety there is it's a little troublesome for a game that has, you know, it's focused on co-op like this. What you're doing basically, though, is you're building up, you're trying to get these mana that you're going to generate, for most of your abilities, generate mana, and then you spend those mana to purchase new cards that you then use to upgrade things like your attacks, um, put in special abilities, uh, things that let you kind of manipulate and break the rules a little bit. So all the same basic ideas of Dice City in terms of how you're building out your board and how you're breaking the rules and manipulating things and building an engine, really, so you can get off some pretty solid combos and do more damage by the end of the game. Now, after the initial rounds of the game, I believe it's nine, you get to the boss. And the boss has all of these cards in front of them. They're called seals, and the seals give him buffs and extra health and they do extra damage and all this stuff so throughout the game you need to be unlocking and clearing these seals uh, you do that with mana you have the little eyeball icons on some of your stuff you build up enough of those and they let you unlock the seal and then once it's unlocked you start piling mana on it you know using the mana for this instead of buying new cards so you can have to balance the two out and then you hopefully break the seals enough of them before you get to the boss that he's a little powered down um, he has 10 health by default in the base game, and then there's difficulty levels to rack that up a little bit. And then if you have the seals out, sometimes those buff him up further. So on the really, really basic level, I think he has 15 or 16 health. And your typical combo at the very end of the game is going to be between 5 and 8 damage at the most. So you need to be able to kind of build that up and then also be able to absorb some damage because you take damage, you put markers on your cards, you can't use those cards when you roll them. So um, you want to make sure that, you know, you, you're prepared for that. Overall, I like Dice City. I like the mechanisms. I like this system. So I like the Master Trials. It's a the same basic idea in the game. The things that I find a little, that I don't necessarily like as much is that there's really not that much variety here. You pick your class, it tells you which cards you're going to use, and there's not a ton of variety in that deck. So you're probably going to put out certain cards that the game wants you to put out to build up. The enemy deck is pretty small. The location deck is pretty small. So you're going to see the same stuff every time you play. There's only one boss in the core box, which is disappointing for any cooperative game like this, um, but especially one like this where on the easy mode, at least, you'll probably beat him or come close to it early on. The difficulty comes in with you know how many cards you put out and what kind of health he has and all that. So... As a game, it, it, it does, it's not that it feels incomplete. It just feels like there's not quite enough content here for a co-op, which needs to have a range of things that you can do to scale out and get harder. But mechanically speaking, I think it's really fun. And I like what they did to make it into a co-op game. You know, the same ideas of how you attack each other in Dice City are now applied to the, the enemies. But the kind of the random luck of the draw on the on the enemy deck can hurt you a little bit early. You can obviously heal some of that damage back, especially if you build up a little bit. But it's it's not the perfect co-op. It doesn't perfectly translate over. But again, 
mechanisms are fun if you don't mind a little bit of randomness and if you don't like mind all that kind of dice mitigation and different take on strategy than you know your typical co-op it's a decent game i can't give it as high a rating as i give dice city uh just because there's not as much stuff here um even at the base level and I would like to see more. So it's a soft play for me right now, but it is AEG. They will almost certainly expand this game and add more stuff. That's probably why there's not much here. Uh, And I will be interested to see what they do and how they build it out. You know, if you give us some deck building options for the heroes, some additional monster types, different bosses, new locations. That's the kind of stuff that'll make me really want to play this game and get it back to the table beyond what I've already played. Yeah, that's a little disappointing, especially for a co-op game. You want to have multiple bosses. Because like you said, if you're playing Dice City, the different players are, you know, in essence, other bosses that you're trying to beat. So here just having one is a little disappointing, especially just thematically. You want to have different choices. Yeah. Yeah, like you compare it to a game like Aeon's End where it comes with two or three out of the box, which is what I would expect and what it should have. You want some thematic difference there and the mechanics it doesn't really matter but it just it still matters sure so that's the master's trials wrath of magmaroth this is out from aeg now and if you're looking for co-op or more combat and you in the dice city you find dicey a little dry it might be worth checking out if you like dice city mechanisms and you want something a little bit more wait a little bit wait until this one has been expanded sure they have three ex- mini expansions for dice city Hopefully they'll just maybe replicate those, maybe put it in a you know a single box and put that out there pretty soon. All right, so the game I want to talk about is a another game, or in this case an expansion that was released at PAX Unplugged. I know it was also released at Essen, but this was the first chance that we got a shot at that. And this is Terraforming Mars Venus Next. Now, this was an expansion that Anthony and I were looking forward to very much. We are both big Terraforming Mars fans, despite, you know, our criticisms about the general production of the game. But otherwise, great game, and we're both very happy with it. So beyond the first expansion that came out, which was a two-sided board that had some different areas of Mars that you could develop and some different awards and milestones, this expansion utilizes Venus to help you terraform Mars. So in this game, you are going to get an additional small board. Now, I mean small. This is nowhere near the size of the full-size board. So don't expect something big and don't expect Venus. I, I think originally when I heard, oh, they're going to have Venus. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to have this great board. And it's gonna, we're going to be able to terraform this whole area up and have all these different floating kind of platforms. Nope, it's a really tiny board that basically has its own terraforming track and then four spots for the different kind of floating cities that are in this game. So you get this small board, same very thin production as far as that component is concerned, and you're going to have 49 new cards. Now this is really why you want the expansion, because those new cards do add a lot to the gameplay. Now a good majority of them are focused directly towards this whole new Venus track. So Like the regular games of Terraforming Mars, it has those three different tracks that you're trying to ramp up to bring the game to its conclusion. With the Venus track, you also are trying to ramp up that track in order to activate these cards, but it is not one of the conditions that it's going to end the game. So don't go too hardcore on that unless you need that. So these 49 cards are going to do a lot of different things, but in particular, 
what you're going to typically focus on is a new resource in this game, which is called floaters. Now, these are these floating infrastructure platforms and ships that are terraforming Venus and giving you resources. So just like plants and animals and microbes, you are going to be placing cubes on these cards to score victory points. Now, this Venus track comes into play a lot, obviously, when it comes to these cards. And there are two new kind of end game bonuses. So there are the awards, which is this Venus file final award, which is going to score you victory points based upon whomever has the most Venus tags on their cards. And then there's a milestone card in this game, which is the Hover Lord. So whoever has seven of these, you know, hovering token markers on their cards, they're going to score that goal. So these goals are very similar to the ones in Terraforming Mars. Now, the game also comes with five new corporations that work off Venus. Now, two of them you could play in the base game without having Venus, but they really don't play very well. So I would recommend not playing with these unless you're playing with the Venus expansion. The rest of the 49 cards have a little symbol on them, so you can identify that these are Venus cards, and basically you shuffle these into the deck and you play along with the deck. Now, I would say if you're going to play this game and you're going to play with these Venus corporations, at the very least, shuffle half the deck with these Venus cards, because one of the challenges with Terraforming Mars is that you may not see the cards that you need and adding 49 cards to an already very large deck is going to be a problem as far as getting the cards you need and having that Venus Corporation just not pay out. So I guess either everyone plays a Venus Corporation or you gotta kind of like sort the deck in such a way that at least some of those cards would come out in the game. Now there is a new, uh, I guess, rule for this game that you may have already incorporated, which is the world government. So with this world government rule, basically the start player is allowed to move up one of the tracks of the terraforming Mars board because as you probably know from playing the game, this game could take a very, very, very long time. So having that person move up the track without getting the bonus kind of moves the game along, allows other cards to be valuable, allows players to play in a reasonable amount of time and not just have one player just playing with their tableau cards, not moving the tracks up, and then next thing you know, it's four hours later. So very good additional rule. Five new corporations are decent. The new award, new milestone are good to have. The Venus tag is nice because now you have the Saturn tag, you have the Venus tag, and now you have the Earth tag. So always having planets is a great thing. 49 new cards are excellent. The board's a little small. The cities are a little kind of, you know, it's there. It's just not that big. So I would say for Venus Next, this is a play. And as far as expansions go, I would probably say that it's more of the same. It's not a bad expansion by any stretch, and I'm happy to have this expansion. It's not a essential expansion. You don't need this for the game. It just adds more of Terraforming Mars that you hopefully love. Yeah, I agree. I love Terraforming Mars. I'm very happy to have this, and I'm having a lot of fun with it, especially on the solo side. But I, it's not a, it's not vital at all yeah. unless you play Terraforming Mars a lot. That you need new cards to look at out of the 350 you already have. It's, yeah, this is absolutely not necessary, but it is very fun and it is well done. If if you need more content for this game. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward one day. I know a lot of people are where this game gets reprinted and hopefully everything's in one box. That would be great. And that's something to look forward to, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, Someday. otherwise, good expansion if you're burnt out on the regular Terraforming Mars and you want to move on to this, but not essential. Don't run out and spend big money on this. You're not getting a lot for that expansion, but definitely a worthy addition. All right, so that's our At the Table. Now on to our feature review. So for this feature review, being that it's the holiday shopping season, we wanted to continue to help you help your friends and family transition from those classic games and those kind of casual games into more gateway and gamer games. Now, typically, and Anthony and I had a fun time putting this list together because we don't think casual, we don't think gateway that often. We think more of the heavy and the complex thematic games. So we want to take it a step back, hopefully to bring people a step up, and we're going to talk about these games that are just traditional classic games that your family probably already owns, probably already plays, and what games would match up best with that. So if you do, or if your family or friends do like these classic board games, we want you to try out these other games so that you can get more people to the table. So Anthony, I'm going to read off the classic games and you're going to hit me with the new upgrades, all right? Let's do it. All right. So, Anthony, what about chess? Onitama. Okay. How about Monopoly? Machikoro. Maybe okay. with an expansion or two. How about Scrabble? Or I would have said paperback, but I just played hardback. So, now it's hardback. All right. So, I want to, you know, get my armies together for risk. What else would you recommend? Well, one of your favorite games, Small World. Okay. All right, I'm thinking about uh, trying to figure out who's sitting at the table and who might be a murderer. So if I'm playing Clue, what do I want to upgrade with? The most natural upgrade of all, Mysterium. <laughs> it's true. All right, so quick playing card game for the family. Let's just say Uno. Yeah, except Uno can last a million years. So instead, let's say Love Letter. All right, so let's not skip that. Let's go to the next one. So Anthony, two-player game, battling and out. Maybe let's call it a seed battle. Let's call it Battleship. What do you got? Well, thematically, we have a perfect match uh, with Sonar, the non-real-time, turn-based, slightly pared-down version of Captain Sonar, which is also fantastic, but maybe a little much for your family. Sure. Okay. So let's talk about a, something super simple for family that everyone plays, Yahtzee. What do you got as far as dice is concerned? Oh, this is, has to be King of Tokyo. Not just because it has a Yahtzee mechanic, but because there's an actual game built around it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first, right? All right, so... Let's not talk dice. Let's talk the most generic game possible, asking questions. What about Trivia Pursuit? What do you got there? Well, how do you take a trivia game that makes everybody feel a little bit dumb and make it fun? <laughs> you add betting, uh, wits and wagers. Sure. Definitely want to go. All right. Well, what about, you know, I'm moving some armies and I'm trying to take over the other opponent's lands. How about Stratego? There are millions of games that do this, but very few do it in a way that's actually accessible. So Memoir 44 is what we went with. Okay. So that seems like a good game. But, you know, what if I want to play something simple as far as an abstract's concerned, two-player game, and just looking to jump over pieces? Hive. That's all I got. Hive. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the bugs, man. It's all about the yep. bugs. All right. How about Sorry? You know, bumping pieces around, dexterity. What do you think? Yeah, no, so uh, a little bit of a stretch, but 
knocking people off and getting in their way. It's got to be pitch car. Also, I don't like it, so they kind of fit together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Anthony. So what about a game where, let's go back classic, how about, you know, just drawing on a pad, something like Pictionary? Yeah, Pictionary is another one of those ones that makes some people feel a little uh, out of place. So the more modern version, Telestrations, does a great job. Okay. So another kind of classic game you probably play as a kid, Connect 4. All right. So this is a Connect 5 game, but it definitely adds a few more elements to it. And it is surprisingly accessible for the young ones. Uh, Yinch from the GIF series. Ah, Pretty sneaky, Anthony. Pretty sneaky. All right. So what about probably the all-time classic ancient game that's still around today? How about Go? All right. So we just played this at PAX. Uh, It is called Element, and it is basically Go with player powers and unique pieces you pull out of a bag. Nice. All right. So let's talk about something that, you know, is going to expand my, you know, gaming idea. How about the Game of Life? Game of Life uh, translates quite well into modern gaming terms with CV. Okay. And let's say we go a a little bit lighter, or probably the lightest game, probably maybe the first game a lot of people play. How about Candyland? God, I play this way too much. Um, (laughs) We're working on it. We're working on it. Um, A recent game played by, or made by Mattel, um, similar look and feel as Wizards Wanted. Okay. Well, what about an interesting dexterity game? How about Don't Break the Ice? An even more interesting dexterity game, Click Clack Lumberjack. Okay. How about, you know, your classic word game, but you got to come up with some definitions here. How, how do you put that together with categories? Um, just as chaotic and a little more fun um, and definitely gets the whole table involved. That's Word Slam. All right. What about a kind of set collection communal pile? How about... Mahjong. Arboretum is a very interesting game, if you can find it. Yeah, nice artwork and good good tableau building. All right, what about one of the classics of all time, game I play growing up all the time, Dominoes? So just because it has it in the name, we kind of had to go with King Domino. But you can also throw in Queen Domino if you want a little bit more uh, tactical decisions mixed in there. That seems a little bit of cheating, but I'll, all right, I'll let you get away with that one. <laughs> all right, so how about something... Totally simple, totally fun. You played it as a kid. How about Guess Who? All right, we'll turn that into a strategy board game and make it playable with four players. And you've got Mystery of the Abbey, old Days of Wonder game. All right, the game that's not allowed to be named, and nonetheless, you have to play it. How about Taboo? Codenames is pretty much modern Taboo, with a little bit more accessible in terms of play, gameplay and game time. And then also there's multiple different versions of this thing out now. All right, and finally, the game that, you know, freaks everybody out, it's that game that you hope your fingers are up to it. How about Operation? We just played Meeple Circus at PAX, and I felt very much like I did playing Operation when I was 12. (laughs) I have giant hands, and the timer ticking down, reminding me how little time I have. It's just, it's stressful, man. It's stressful. Those Meeple lives are on the line. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so there you are, a whole list of classic board games that you've grew up playing with your friends and family, and as you're looking to this holiday sales season, what games might be great to pick up that might bring them to the next level? You can actually say, hey, you love Risk, try out Small World, hey, you love Monopoly, 
let's roll some dice and pick up some property with Machi Karo. These games are definitely excellent gateway games bringing people from the casual to more of the gamer type area. Okay, so that's everything from this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll upgrade your seat at the table.